What's up, friends? My name is Alex Fleece. This is the yet-to-be-properly-named content podcast with myself, content producer Alex Fleece, uh, creative director here in Maui for Brandon Turner, uh, Better Life with Brandon Turner podcast, and my good friend, Sean McGuire Sean in Las Vegas. McGuire. What up, Sean? Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? Happy Friday. Is it Friday? It is. We're entrepreneurs, bro. I don't have... I don't yeah, have I know. Can't stop, won't stop, but... I, yeah, I know yeah, it's Friday just because my girlfriend told me, oh, today's Friday. I would have known. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks for being here. Um, this is the podcast. I'm trying to get like a promise, but what we are trying to do is get entrepreneurs and content creators to work together in new ways to create new content, content that sticks, content that converts, and content that tells stories. And I think I'd add on working with purpose-driven entrepreneurs who are entrepreneurial, that are looking for creators who, you know, want to create and have something that's meaningful behind it and a sustaining career where it's not just something where they're working for a few months and then they move on, find a new client to work with, something where they're working continuously with that entrepreneur, building something together and impacting a lot of lives. Love that. Yeah. Content partnerships, not just... Not, not just content freelance. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, speaking of which, you and I talked about this a lot this week because we worked on a project together. I, I, I got you to do some, some editing for me. And I'd like to get right into sort of some, this thing that I've been thinking about for a while now. Uh, the content creators, you know, there's basically, in my opinion, there's maybe not two types, but there's two, there's two main types, right? And there's content that entertains and there's content that educates. And mm -hmm. I think the goal is to find a little bit of both. But we had this project where I was like, look, this is not enter, this is not educational piece of content. We are, my podcast, uh, A Better Life with Brandon Turner, is a, it is an educational you know, platform. But we put together the sizzle reel and we talked about how to make, you know, some content is designed to be entertaining and some content is designed to be educational. And we needed something that was entertaining. And so we got to this idea, this framework that I think about all the time about dessert first do you remember we talked yeah. about this dessert first dessert so, first no I, I love it yeah i when think a lot of that so, it really clicked for me it clicks yeah 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 I so think, the idea so, being like yeah no go oh, ahead please yeah well i was gonna say so uh, you know we're editing the sizzle for the podcast and i i think i was just leaving in a little bit too much of the meal with the dessert and Alex tells me it's dessert first. You know, we only have so much time. We need to hook them right away. We don't need to hear the whole story. And when I heard that, because I think the timestamps that I picked were good, but the, it was the little fragments within them that was gold. Um, the rest of it was good. So just picking the little part that's the cliffhanger or the part that gives them the dessert right away and says what you'd want to hear. So you're like, oh, I'm going to click on this. So I got to listen to it. Really, I think, made a difference in the edit. Um, and the tempo, because it's almost like you're just picking those like one-liners, not the whole 15 to 30 second sentence that they said. And so once you said that to me, it was like a Pandora's box opened up and I was just like, oh, okay, I get it now. Dessert first. Yeah. With entrepreneurs, myself, you probably, like the tendency is, you know, I, I use this framework a lot where the, you know, the whole goal is to delay gratification. And so this idea that whenever I sit down to a meal, I eat vegetables, then I eat my steak, then I eat my dessert. I eat the worst foods to the best foods. Well, that's the entrepreneurial life. But when it comes to content, especially ed entertaining content is I kind of have to give you the dessert first so you'll stick around. Mm -hmm. I have to give you the first three seconds after punch. And in fact, on a sizzle reel like this, where, 
you know, it is a trailer for a podcast where there's a lot of steak. There's a lot of steak in that podcast, but we're not going to listen to steak in 30 seconds. So I'm going to give you 30 seconds of dessert. I'm going to give you mm -hmm. like you did. I think you did four different clips that were dessert, dessert, dessert. They were fast. It's 30 seconds. And I'm like, man, I, you know, I want more of that. And so that was a really, that's something I talk about a lot with, uh, with content creators and entrepreneurs where trying to find the right piece of content. Now that's not right always, but for a lot of times, you know, something that you want to grab, something you want to really grab somebody's attention or, or, you know, act as a trailer for something else. It's like, give them that dessert first. Mm -hmm. No, well said. Give them the dessert first. All right. Um, talk to me about the, you know, the creative process between the, um, like your experience with as a creator with entrepreneurs and like how to get the vision between, you know, what somebody has in their head and what, and then to get to you to like, you know, a lot of times trying to like tell them what's possible, what's realistic. Cause people, they have mm -hmm. these ideas, ideas like I, I want to start a YouTube channel and I want it to be, you know, Steven Spielberg level video. And it's like, what, what's the process of getting, you know, what you could produce, what they want and, and matching it up with reality. Sure. So I think it all starts with the questions that you ask them. So, you know, things like, where are we going to film it? How often do you want to film it? Um, always getting an example edit or uh, like a, a picture of a set that you like could certainly help. And then kind of determining, you know, how much they really want to sink into it with the gear. If they're filming it from home and I'm just editing or if I'm going over there to film. Uh, but I think just the longer I can get to know them and hear their question, uh, ask questions for their vision. Um, and before we start getting into the more granular stuff like the schedule and the budget and pricing, it, it always kind of uh, helps for just hearing what they really want and their motivation behind why. Cause I think a lot of people, they like the idea of success and that, you know, they might have a community or an audience that they can create, but they don't really realize, you know, how much work it really goes in behind the scenes and the editing and the thoughts and the questions and the preparation, you know, they just think it's, you know, hit record and then it's done. Like there's this like one magic button on our keyboard where you just hit it and it's like edit, but no, it like takes a lot of time. Um, so for me, like another new question I've been asking people too lately is, you know, what does success look like for you when we're done either filming together for the day or at the end of the event, you know, and then, and then you can get really specific. Like somebody told me, I want at least five really good talking head testimonials of people that were ecstatic coming here. And so then we do it. And then I say, okay, does it matter if, if they're already in the coaching program or do we want new people? Do we want boys or girls? Um, do you want, you know, older people or younger people? Cause like for me, like, especially when I'm shooting, I try to get the diversity of the group, um, just to get, you know, all, all different types of people to, sh you know, so it can appeal to that one person watching and maybe if they're a little bit older, or a little bit younger. Um, but I think it all starts with just, keep asking questions and get to the, you know, the whys and then, and then you can start talking about the hows. Um, yeah. I'd be curious one to hear your thoughts though, too. One of the questions I ask right at the get kind of what you said, like what success look like. And I, and I always ask like, where is this going to go and what are you trying to get out of it? And I think mm -hmm. what a lot of people do is they say like, they're like, I want to, I want to do YouTube. Can you come film a YouTube episode with me? And I, you know, I have this conversation, I'm like, well, do you have any, do you have a YouTube presence right now? Because you hiring me to do one YouTube video is not going to do anything for anybody. You know, seven people will watch it maybe, and, and it doesn't convert it to anything. And so I think it really, I, the, the thing I try to find out is I try to implement myself into what is their current, you know, ecosphere? What is their current strategy and how do I fit into that? Now, I'm happy to do content strategy with people, but I think a lot of people, you know, they don't have a strategy or, um, 
you know, they want one-off stuff and one-off stuff is great, but we have to really use it effectively. So for example, you know, somebody will call me up and, and they'll say like, well, I want to come over for the day and we'll do like 50 reels. And I'm like, you know, that's fine. Um, that's fine. But you know, how does it fit in? If you do 50 reels and then you post one a day for a few days and then you don't have anything after that, that's not great. Also, if you do, you know, 50 reels and you post three a day and you don't have anything after that, you know, what's the point? So I think really the, 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 try, the, the, the core of what I try to get at is what is their overall strategy? Are they trying, is this just organic um, or are they really trying to use, are they trying to do paid? And right now I think everybody, they need really, they need a little bit of both to be effective. I, I, I think organic content for entrepreneurs is really not that effective. Um, it's also incredibly necessary. So trying to find out like where they are in the process of their content machine, their content strategy, what they're trying to get out of it. Kind of like you said, like what does success look like? Not just for the production, but like if I give you 50 clips and then you don't know how to post them or where you should post them or, you know, or how it leads to a, 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 a their product or whatever the case, then it's, it's, uh, nobody wants to waste anybody's time. So mm-hmm. I'm always like, what is kind of like you said, what is success? But also like, what is your largest success? Like, what are you trying to accomplish and how can I create, how can we develop a, a strategy that we work together on that feeds into that, that success rather than just uh, what I think the, the core of why I ask this is most entrepreneurs, they, they look at cameras, they know content's important. They know being on social is important. They don't actually know how it converts, um, how to make it, like you said, and what the production process is like. So they like make a YouTube video and I'm like, yeah, YouTube's important, but man, that's a YouTube is YouTube is a big mountain. This is not this is not a weekend's worth of work. This is every day worth of work. So trying to get some rea- get an understanding of what people are trying to really accomplish and and how to you know build something around that. When they find out that YouTube is a full time job, then they're like, oh, I don't really want to actually do that, which is which is good. We'll do something that that's sustainable. I think that's the big thing for me is what's sustainable because mm-hmm. social does not work on Wednesdays and Tuesdays. Whatever you do, you have to do it forever. I'd agree too with what you said on you need a little bit of the combo of organic and paid because I know now that uh, TikTok and Reels have been out for a while, their algorithm isn't as friendly as it was like even back towards like COVID and like right after COVID where the discovery feature and like seeing the new stuff would appear a lot um, easier. So like if you do have a little bit of budget and you can do paid, I think like that's the perfect one to combo. Yeah. Um, all right. I'm going to move on to another, another topic. AI. Yeah. AI is still hot. I'm using it every day. I'm using, um, I'm using video.ai. I'm using Opus Clips, although uh, there's a little bit of, there's a little bit, I'm having a little bit of trouble with Opus Clips. So I hope over the next, they have some updates coming out over the next few weeks. Um, and now, uh, let's see, I'm using Autopod. Autopod a lot. Autopod's great. And I heard about yesterday, I don't know if you've seen this, for photography, a guy reached out to me. He said, I'm using aftershoot.ai. It does AI culling. It does all the straightening for your in your Lightroom, and it does cropping and edits to style. If you like, give it your style, it knows how to edit to your style automatically. Have not heard of that one, but it sounds great. What was it called again? Aftershoot.ai. I believe it's a Lightroom plugin. Oh wow! Yeah, um, I love that. But what other AI? Are you using any other AI in the in the in the moment? I've just been reading more about them, but I have, I mean, Autopod's still number one for me. Um, that's shaved like a ton of time. Uh, I need to, like the Opus Clips, I know you've mentioned it. So like I've been more and more tempted to uh, to try that. But right now I've just been 
just sticking with Autopod, but that's something actually on my to-do list because every day I'm kind of just Googling a little bit like AI for videos and need to now like actually create time to test them more. Um, yeah, you got to tinker. Yeah. So one of the interesting things about podcasting right now is Riverside now has AI generated clips in it. So after this recording is done, that we're recording this on Riverside, this will spit me out five or six social media clips. I can give them to you. Um, so I think that that type of edit is coming very fast. And that is a, that is exciting for all people who create original content, especially podcasting, like the amount, the ability to disseminate, or excuse me, like caught up long form content and disseminate into short form content easily is coming fast. And so what it does, it just reinforces what I've been saying for a while now, which is those who have big personalities that can, uh, you know, attract an audience, keep their attention and provide them value that right there, the personalities are going to go to the top. The production is going to be very easy. Yeah, no, uh, I went out to eat with uh, a couple guys last night who uh, are all in production and everyone's saying what's coming next after reels because the short form talking head, putting in the animated text like the Hermosi style because I feel like he's the one that kind of was the first to do it and everyone tagged along. They're like, this trend is going to start to fade and there's going to be something else. But what is it? None of us knew, but we're all talking about it because, you know, it's so much easier now to add the subtitles and I do think a lot of them are starting to look alike. I think one of the trends that's coming, I, I, I believe as deeply as coming is the one that you helped me out with the, uh, the hype reels. Those are not easy mm. to make. They're interesting. And those mm -hmm. will come at the forefront of basically all podcasts. And I think people who can tell a story in a short amount of time with dramatic music, good sound design, and then do the research to go into these interesting people and go to the internet and sour, scour the internet for their, you know, interesting moments throughout their history and news clips. And you did a great job on that, on that piece, but the people who can put those together into trailers, I think that will be one piece of a trend. I don't think that'll be like the only trend. The Hermosi style videos went bananas and you're right. They're becoming very, you know, democratized now. Everybody has them. Um, but I don't know that one thing will replace them. I think, you know, many little mini trends will replace them. Sure. Yeah. It'll be over time. Yeah. No, the, the trailer thing was fun. Cause it's, it really is like telling the story and picking the best, the best parts of what's said. And, and then, like you said, with the sound design, good lighting, uh, sound effects, the music, like you can really like get into that mood that you want the person to feel, whether it's like the upbeat rock, uh, like rock with the snare drum. And it's like something happy that they're saying, or if it's like a struggling moment and you cue the sad music, um, it felt like making like a little movie trailer, but of a conversation almost. That's exactly right. So I think everybody who does a podcast is going to start doing those very quickly. Yeah. Well, that's the hook. I feel like it'd be great to see the stats on the ones that don't have those so far that you upload to YouTube and see where the drop off is versus having the little trailer before and then the full episode. Like hopefully it, it, it's higher with the trailer and, and then, it, you know, maybe it'll slowly drop off like it normally does but to me like if i watch a good trailer like especially the ones that we talked about like diary of ceo or even some of like ryan panetta's that i've seen i'm like oh this is good i gotta watch it and it's just because they picked like really good sound bites and the editor editing it did like phenomenal job of picking which ones to choose and then with yeah all it effects... also it also favors podcasts who get guests that are that have you know a bigger sort of history on the internet so mm -hmm. you can get those clips. So if you go mm -hmm. on the internet and you have a podcast with, you know, like you and me, two nobodies, it's hard to do a trailer 
for for me because there's just not that much on the internet. I don't have any. I haven't written a book. I'm not in the New York Times. There's no pictures of me on CNN. So it's it it does lend itself to sort of favor the podcast guests who have big followings. Beth Bethke was a great example because he just, you know, 35 million views on a single YouTube video. Or Stephen um, Bartlett that does Diary of a CEO. Great, great um, sizzle reels because why? Because all his guests are are well known, uh, well documented. Um, you know, authors, entrepreneurs, CEOs, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, moving I on. I had some questions. Uh, I had some questions oh, too. Whenever, whenever it's hit my me. turn. Well, all right. It's so your we turn. were talking about this last time, but you were saying, "Why don't you ask this on the podcast?" And I think it'd, it'd be oh. great for whoever's listening to hear this. But you have such charisma. You're so magnetic. When I first met you, I was like, "I like this guy." You know, I felt like we hit it off right away. And it, I'm wondering how how do you stay so happy? And like what, you know, what makes you happy? Cause I think that's like one thing, especially as like a solo creator, like I was talking to another buddy who he doesn't have a team. It's just him after the event. He was like, Hey, like, do you get sad after like these conferences? And I was like a little bit. Cause like you go back home, you're editing by yourself. There's nobody here. And you know, you're not going into an office and it's just like this endorphin rush where you see like some of your heroes or people you've been idolizing or following for a while. They give like a great talk you feel super motivated. And then three days later, you're like, ah, what to do, what to do. And whenever I talk to you, you seem so happy all the time. So grateful. Like, I know you said the line, I'm the luckiest man alive. Um, I'm the luckiest man alive. I'm curious, like, what, what is the, what is the secret? Like, what is this a practice? Did you learn it? Um, have you always been this way? Um, yeah. Um, okay. First off, I'm not always happy all the time. I had actually two okay. really bad days in a row last two days. So I think everybody uh-huh. goes through peaks and valleys. Mm-hmm. But that being said, uh, yes, it is a practice. It is 100% a practice. It is available to everybody. Um, and some of it is like, you know, I, my fiance is the most optimistic person on the earth. So it's like who you surround yourself with. If you surround yourself with people who are negative, you know, I have a saying I've been saying for 10 years, like attitude is contagious. Attitude is contagious. So it's like, dude, make sure you have one worth catching because everybody who's around you is going to catch your attitude. You say like, oh, Alex, you're so optimistic or uh, so happy. It's like, right, because I want you to be optimistic. I want you, I want to give that to you. Well, the same thing is is, op- is true as well. Like I, I'm, if I was negative, I'd give you that negativity. Well, the people that are around you that you choose to keep around, their attitude is contagious too. So if you have around people that are negative, you're going to be negative. One of the best things you can do is um, – is probably marry somebody who's very happy, very optimistic. I mean, cause you're gonna be around them the most. So the person that you're around the most has to be in a very optimistic mood. You know, the future belongs to the optimist. Uh, but secondly, like there's some pragmatic things like dude, the gym, health is wealth. If you're not in the gym, like there's a physiological, it's not just like a chore. It's not just like look at muscles. It's not just weight loss. It's like, there's a physiological process of you getting out and like using your body in a physical capacity. And it's, it is physiological. So it affects your your mental and emotional health. That's just, that's it. Um, you know, and I think we had talked about a couple other things that are, um, you know, who you surround yourself at the gym. And we've talked about a couple other things that are important that are maybe a little more abstract, you know, travel. Travel is so important. If you've only ever been to America, then you've only ever been to as good as it gets. So you don't know how good you have it. Like, you know, go to Sierra Leone, Africa, go somewhere terrible. I mean, you don't have to go that far, go to Mexico. You know, go to the bad part of town. You want to be grateful? Well, you live in Las Vegas. How often do you hang out by uh, Boulder Highway? I drive by it when I uh, go to the car wash. 
Yeah, go hang out <laughs> there for a day or two. Just like just just walk up and down the street for a while and then tell me how bad you have it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a tough that's a tough part of town. Not all of it, obviously, but like you know, go go to the bad parts of of your town and then and and then be like, you know what? I, I it's not so bad. I live in six hundred square foot, but I, I could have no house at all. So some of it is like relative like tr- like relative experience. Uh, some of it is um, a lot of people stress about money. Money doesn't make you actually that happier because you'll never have enough. And especially if you hang out with people. I hang out with Brandon Turner. He's got a billion dollars of real estate. I, I'm never going to have a billion dollars of real estate. So like to, compared to him and all the other people on Maui, like I'm poor, right? I, I'm, I, <laughs> I'm poor, but I'm still happy um, because not because of how much I have or don't have, but because of control. So I think a lot of people's money problems are a lack of control. They don't actually know how much they have. They don't know how much they spend. They spend it frivolously. They don't know what they want. So they spend it on consumerism. Consumerism is, is the worst addiction of all. Consumerism will make you unhappy. So I stay away from sort of vapid, empty things like that. I try to do things that are very fulfilling, you know, uh, gym, books, and uh, a lot of it. And then also like nature, like, you know, it's hard in Las Vegas in July, uh, but you have Red Rock. You know, you have um, Mount Charleston. You can go hiking. Getting out in nature just, it, again, it's biology. Your body, like, is designed for for sunshine and breezes and and uh, and good weather and nature and being around, like, you know, the woods. So I think I think that combination of, of those things would make anybody happy. And none of them are – none of them are even yeah, – none of them are unattainable. All of them are attainable today. Right. Sean could go to the gym today. You could hang around op- optimistic people today. You could start cutting out negative people out of your life today. You could, you know, you could go through your bank statements and your, and your bank accounts and do like an audit and find out where you're misspending and where you're like, and start like every time you get money, you know, just save a little bit, like start taking control and you could go for a hike. You could do all those things today. And I bet you'd be a good ass mood. So a lot of it is, so when you say like, it's a process, like, dude, it's not biology. I've been depressed. I've had negative parts of my life, deeply negative parts. I used to be very angsty. And so it's just, it is, it is a totally a process. It is not something that is something that is attainable for everybody. I love that. That almost leads into my next question. I had, um, I have one so more, I, I have one more thing about yeah. that. I have one more sure. thing about that actually is, uh, every yeah. time at dinner, uh, me and Miss Kate, we say grace. And so for me, cause I'm a little bit more secular than her, you know, I just express what are the three things I'm grateful for. And you say it out loud and that matters. Like yeah. tell people what you're, what you're grateful for. And it will, it does something when you say it out loud to somebody else. It, it puts like stakes, puts skin in the game. Um, yeah. And that matters because then it tells, you know, you tell people like, I'm grateful for this. And then they're optimistic. They're like, wow, I should be more grateful too. And so you spread that around and then it compounds. I love that. Yeah. After you told me that last week, I, I really made it a point every day my girlfriend gets home. I ask her, so what was the best part of your day? And then what are you grateful for? And like, you know, any, any small wins that you had, like what was, like, what was something that unexpected happened, you know? And, and then we also say these like corny little catchphrases that like my mom would say to me growing up, like smile at somebody new today or like make a new friend or sit next to somebody else at lunch. And you know, it's, it's different for everyone, but like, even just like, Hey, go tell somebody a joke today. And like, sometimes she does. And it's just like an extra little challenge. Like, so for me, like I'll go to the gym and I'll, go talk to the person checking people in a little bit longer or just wave and smile at other people that I see at the rock climbing gym that maybe I might normally have my head down, headphones in, trying to get in the zone. And and now I'm just like, Oh, Hey, you know, and 
I feel like little gestures like that, you know, can really make a big difference too. Attitude is contagious, bro. Yeah, it really is. You know? Um, yeah, I love that. Me and Miss Kate ask each other all the time. We say, um, what could go right? So super helpful exercise. What could That's go right? Good. Cause then you start going, you start daydreaming. You're like, wait, well, this could go right. And that could go right. And this could go right. And it's just like, you start getting optimistic about the future rather than like, you know, the common question is like, you know, what's going to go wrong? What could go wrong? It's like, yeah, you know, what could go right? I love that. Yeah. I was going to say, um, what are your three things that someone listening to today could start today? And then if they implement 10, 15, or even 20 years from now, they'd be like, Alex, I listened to that pod with you and Sean. I appreciate that. Cause I feel like some of them, you know, could have been included that you just said, but I'm yeah. curious. What... Uh, the, the advice that, the advice that changed my life forever and still does, uh, was this, your life will be, uh, I forget the term he used, but I don't even know who told me, but, uh, life will be solved when you do these three things, you need three hobbies, one that makes mm -hmm. you money, one hobby that keeps you in shape and one hobby mm -hmm. that keeps you creative. You do those mm. three things. Life is done. Life is solved. You go to the gym, you find something that you don't have to be a mogul. You don't have to be an entrepreneur. Just like find a way to, to stack away 20% and invest it in the market or buy real estate or whatever it is. Like find a way to make a little bit of money. Don't make it your whole life. Just make a little bit of money on your terms. Go to get your fitness on. You have to have some fitness, but you have to have a physiological health process and you have to create whether it's writing, photography, videography, uh, for the first five or six years of my camera, I didn't take a dime. It was a hobby of fulfillment. It was not a business by any means. I didn't even really want it to be a business. I just got too good. But if you do those three things, right? Life is solved. I love that. I wrote those down. Yeah. I say that all the time. I've been saying that for, I've been saying that for 10 years. And the more I look at my life, I'm like, uh, you know, it's not always perfect, but that, that is what I do. And I think about them as hobbies. I never think about like my, I never think about them as like careers or identities. I never want to be like, I never wanted my, uh, my, uh, real estate investor to be my identity. Even when I was good at it and I was doing it a lot, I rejected it. I never want gym rat to be like my identity. I want to be well-rounded. I want to, I want to have three main hobbies that sort of keep me fulfilled and well-rounded. I love that. Yeah. I've seen a lot of people get tied up in the identity and then once they switch jobs or something happens, you, you can kind of see how it's like self-destructive almost. Yeah. So I was in the military and this is very popular, very common problem in the army. You know, somebody will do 20 years and especially if they're like in special forces and they're like, I'm a green beret. That's what I am. And then, you know, year 21 comes along and they get out and it's like, when you're out of the army, you're all the way out. There is no, like, you don't go back to the office to hang out, you know, you're out. And so, and those, the guys go on without you. And so a lot of guys, they lose both their job, their income, their purpose, right. And their identity. They lose a lot all at once. And a lot of men struggle women too, I'm sure. But like, you know, I, I was from the special forces world where there's no women. So I, I see a lot of people struggle with, you know, especially an identity, like, a, like a green beret where it's not just like, Oh, I'm, I'm in the army, like a job. It's like, dude, I am a green beret. And now you are just another civilian who was, you know, no rank, no hierarchy, no purpose. Like it's, it's gotta be tough. Yeah. So I, I'm sure the same thing happens with, um, entrepreneurs who, you know, they build a business for 10 years and then like, you know, one day somebody was the CEO of Blockbuster for 15 years. And then one day he was not. Yeah. And it's like, what do you, are you, can you do it again? You know, 
I don't know. Yeah. You know, one day you're the president of the United States and then one day you are not. And you are just, you know, Mr. Whatever. Yeah. Then, then you write a book. Yeah. Well, I mean, people struggle with it, right? Identity is definitely mm-hmm. a hard thing. You want to, you know, putting your identity into what you do is it's a definitely a double-edged sword because that's how you probably, that's how the people who probably get best at things get best at things, right? By really sinking themselves into it. But then also you have to be careful that you have a healthy way of getting out of it because you don't want, you, you don't want to rise, you don't want your, your self-worth to rise and fall with, you know, some economic system or, or, you know, something that you're like, well, you know, what if you, what if you're a, you know, a world-class archer and then you lose a hand, you know, you're a musician and you lose a, you lose a finger and you're like, dude, I'm sunk. Now, who am I? Am I nothing? Am I nobody now? Mm-hmm. So it's definitely, it's definitely a double-edged sword. Totally. Uh, I got okay. Well, this is, oh, you got to, no, so yeah. So, yeah. So we were, I was out to eat with or coffee with like four other content creators and we were all talking about gear and I noticed each person had a different method for buying their gear. And so I wanted to run okay. it by you. So if you're buying gear, do you a pay for it in full? Do you finance it or do you buy it used? Or do you just buy the one that you can actually afford if you're not, you know, if you have like, you know, you want the FX3 or something, but that's out of budget do you, and you can't pay for that in full, do you just settle for the 30 or do you save up? Like what's your, what's your methodology when it comes to, you know, getting the gear if, um, I guess you might be the exception where, you know, uh, you're just going to buy the, the best of the best right now because you're working with Brandon and have the pod and everything, but for... Everybody has budgets and everybody has limited resources. Nobody's mm-hmm. has, I, I certainly don't have an unlimited budget and everybody makes concessions in my opinion mm-hmm. about what they can get. I mean, I would much rather have better lenses and more cameras, but I have what I have. Mm. Um, so I in my experience, say Sony's. no, no, I never buy Sony's. <laughs> um, no, but what I found is that uh, I don't buy used gear. Uh, and that's probably, probably because I'm a prima donna, not for any pragmatic reasons. I mean, used gear is mostly probably fine. I've just not done it. Um, lenses, I have bought a bunch of Sigma lenses rather than the uh, the equivalent Canons. And it, the more that I do that, the, the more that I have bought the Canons, the more I realize uh, the Canons are better. They cost more, but they're better. And so mm-hmm. I will try to usually buy what, first off, I buy what I need, not what I think I want. Um, generally, hey, I need a portrait lens. Well, go buy an 85 millimeter. Hey, I need a wide angle. Go ahead, buy the 15 to 35. Like I try not to just buy stuff because I'm trying to get a new look. I, I generally don't do that. I try to buy like, hey, look, I need to do this shot or this shoot or this you know thing, and, and I want to get it. Now, there's some exceptions to that rule. I really want to get an FPV drone. I don't have any need for it. I, I will find needs for it, but I really want to buy an FPV drone. I really want to buy a, a, the Insta360. I don't have any need for it, but I want to like run down the beach and, and have that, that long. If you've seen that with a long pole where it's like that third mm-hmm. person shot, I really want to do that shot running down the beach. But and even though the, the, the device is only 600 bucks, it's like, I don't have any for it, so I haven't bought it. Now, the other side of that is when I do buy, I try to pay. Um, I try to pay with a credit card so I get the points and then pay it off with cash immediately. If I cannot do that, then I generally, the only time I will make an exception to that rule and finance something is if like, I have got to get a piece of equipment for a shoot that will pay for itself. And then I will finance it. And then within the month or whatever, I'll pay it off. But for the most part, Gear acquisition syndrome is a problem and people will buy stuff that they don't need. I think there's tremendous value. I think there's a 
I think the really great photographers can work within a lot of like a lot of um, parameters. I think there's a tendency for all of us to be like, well, you know, my 50 millimeter is great, but what would be really great is an 85 millimeter 1.2, a $3,000 lens. And it's like, will it be better? Yes. But is the 50 millimeter 1.8 probably good enough? It, you know, yes. Is it worth going to the debt $3,000 for? Probably not. So I think it really, I think there is the, the truly skilled creators can do it within constraints. I think constraints actually cre make for creativity rather than just being like, I'll buy whatever. And especially if you're financing it. I think one of the problems that I see, excuse me, I think one of the things that I don't have that a lot of creators have problems is I made all my money first and then I got into content. And so for me, it's certainly not rich. So I can't just get whatever I want to get, but I know how to manage money. Whereas I worry that there are content creators out there that are like, hey, every time I make money, I buy new equipment because that's like an investment into my business. But then it doesn't, end up actually making them more money. They just always are on this equipment uh, churn. So if that's the case, then I always say, make do with what you have and save the cash. Mm -hmm. Great advice. I love the constraints bring out creativity. The first two years I shot, I only had one lens and the same camera and just made it work. You know, it's like- What, what kind of lens? Need a little bit wider. Uh, it was a 50, 50 millimeter prime, uh, Zeiss. So it was Perfect. a good lens. It was a Perfect. good lens. Yeah. 50 millimeters, it's good, but it's also, it's like, dude, you're, uh, sh everybody should shoot with prime for like, just go a year, year and a half with just one prime lens and like learn how to actually be a photographer. So yeah. healthy. I just remember yeah. there'd be times where I'm like, oh, like they can't get any closer and it's not a wide and I can't adjust it. So then I would just have to scoot back, you know? <laughs> And then, yeah, moving and then is like, it. yeah, or doing weird stuff. Like you have to figure out how to, you know, do weird shots um, where maybe you end up becoming, you shoot more details because it's just, mm -hmm. you get that tight lens, you end up shooting more details or um, yeah, you got to move farther away. So I think that makes you, I think it makes people a really great photographer. I think, you know, I have definitely fallen into the trap where I travel everywhere with two lenses and I'm swapping them out all the time and it's a big pain in the ass and uh, I get neat shots, but like who wins, you know? It does, does it make me a better photographer or does it just make me more high maintenance? You know, I, I, it depends the circumstance where you're shooting, but yeah, I feel the same way. I went out to Mount Charleston actually a few days ago to go rock climbing and brought the camera. And I was like, I'm only bringing one lens is like a 28 to 75. And there's a couple instances where I was like, Oh, I wish I would have brought my wider one. So I could, you could really show how big the wall was, but I was like, all right, I'm just going to make do with what I have. You know, there's chalk and we're out in nature. I didn't want to be switching lenses, but got some cool shots. Yeah. So one of the things I will say, if you only bring one lens with you when you go to shooting, you are 100% welcome to complain. I complain every time I go somewhere, I bring one lens. In fact, I made the mistake last week or whatever when I was in Vegas. I took my, my Canon and I took an 85 millimeter to walk the boulevard. That's hard. There's nothing to shoot because everything's so close and big. And so you really want to have that wide angle. And I just didn't have it. And so I got some shots. They weren't great, but it was still a fun challenge, but I complained the whole way. So if I had my 24 millimeter, then I would complain that I couldn't get the far away shots. So whatever you do, you are welcome to complain. That's part, that's definitely part of it. I love that. All right. Um, I'd like to, unless you have any more questions, I'd like to get wrapping up. Um, what sure. events, what do you shoot? What are you shooting later or like coming up soon? Do you have any events coming up? Um, 
I don't know too much about the event because I have a call with the guy later today, but um, you've, have you heard of Brendan Bucard? No. Nope. kind of like an OG uh, YouTuber. He's in the thought leadership, kind of like business coach space. Um, and working with him in LA later next week. Nice. So that'll be fun. Um, kind of cool how I got that one. My a buddy just saw him posting, like, need a videographer for an event. Boom. And then got in his DMs right away. Dude, and we should I make a marketplace. That's what I want to do with this platform is I want to make a marketplace to connect entrepreneurs and videographers, content creators together. Super important. Yeah. Yeah, no, it was great. Sent him, sent him a sizzle reel. He said, this looks good. Do you have anything else I can look at? Sent him another sizzle reel. And then I just went all in. I sent him my link with the gear list, my case studies, and testimonials. And like we were driving back and forth a little bit in the emails. And he's like, this is fun. Like, thanks for sending these. And I was like, oh, man, like he's actually looking at all this. Good. And then, um, yeah, and I'm excited because I've, I, I'm not like a, diehard fan of like following all his content but i remember seeing some of his content back in like 2013 and 14 and i was like this guy seems really sharp he's posting like content it was educational he was doing like whiteboard sessions and uh yeah i, I guess he has an event in la uh next week so i got that and then um Pineda's also having like a workshop at his space for ricky caruth so we'll be filming that as well nice 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 uh, okay, I don't have a, I, don't, I have a small event for uh, our Better Life um, tribe, tribe in D, in San Diego this weekend. That'll be that'll be just very private thing, but it's for uh, it's called a, it's a marriage retreat, so it's for couples. Uh, and then in December, I will be in Las Vegas for a three to five hundred person event that we are hosting, and I'm hoping to get you get you there, so you can do all the things that I don't want to do. I love that. I'm already here, so you don't have to pay for my travel. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. All right. How can people? How can people find you? What's the best way to reach out? Uh, on Instagram at Sean S H A W N McGuire M A G U I R E, just like the movie Jerry Maguire, McGuire for hire. How about McGuire you? How can they find you, Alex? Yeah, I'm everywhere. I'm at Alex Scott Felice. Love it. Yeah, uh, and I think. Yeah, I got some new stuff. I got some new stuff in the works, but we're going to be doing um, a little more of this podcast. We're going to be disseminating this podcast. I do want to talk to more people, entrepreneurs and creators who are looking to find, like you said, partners, not just work, but partners, somebody they, they can work with long-term or at least regularly, sort of like you work with Pineda. Um, mm -hmm. I think that movement is coming. I think the, the Brandon Burchards like, need a full-time videographer. And, and I even talked to, you know, we met Brad Lee and he had a young videographer with him. And I was like, um, you know, the kid was nice. Uh, and he, he was there working, but I just thought to myself, I was like, you know, Brad has this big infrastructure. He should have somebody way more, I'm sorry to say mature. He had a young kid who was, who's getting started. I don't have anything against this kid. I want this kid to do well, but I also look at him like Brad has the budget. Like there should be somebody of a, there's, there should be a much deeper partnership going on in my opinion. Uh, and I don't know the relationship, but I just see those kind of things where I'm like, there is so much opportunity for creators who have big skill sets to come in and say, look, let's just. Let, you know, be their creative director. Let's be a partnership. Let's just, we'll, we'll, we'll do content across the board, short form, long form podcasting. We'll, we'll really make it all look great and look like your style. Um, so yeah, I'm yeah, trying, no, I'm trying to do some of that, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, Instagram, Alex Scott, please. I'm about to cross 3000 followers. 
Got to get that hey, number up. Let's go. <laughs> hey, every and, follower uh, counts. Yeah, and uh, but we'll do this again next week. Yeah. Yeah, sounds great. All right, my dude. Let's get somebody. Uh, cool. Let's get. Let's get. Uh, let's get Spencer in here next week. Yeah, I'll I'll send him a DM. Did you still want to talk about uh, anything else uh, off off recording? Or no. Okay. Nope. Cool. See ya. All right. <laughs> All right, sweet. See ya. <laughs> Bye.